So this whole section of Paul is saying, listen, if you're going to wear the label Christian, there's certain ways you should reveal that to the world. And he's not talking just about duty. Remember, we've been talking about that for like two months now. It's not about duty. It's about being transformed on the inside by the very real presence of God, by the Holy Spirit, so that we're really different on the inside through transformation, and then it bubbles out in certain ways. And these are the things he's saying, these are the ways that it bubbles out into our, into our lives. He says, these are ways that, that people could see what it's like to be a Christian by looking at you. And last week we talked about that in a unique way. Remember we said that the line of sight between others and God runs through who? Through us. Remember we had the idea, the idea of an angled mirror? I had some people come up here and they, one person could see the other person. There was a barrier. You couldn't see them because of the barrier, but they could see them in the mirror. And that's what the point is here, that the reason we're going to act the way Paul's going to tell us to act, the reason we're going to ask God to help us change so that our actions do change, is so that when people see us, they literally see a reflection of the goodness of God. So let's grab our Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're going to read a pretty large section, larger than normal. And the reason we're doing this is we're going to look at this whole section because Paul's really starting this whole section. It's going to run for the rest of the book with little, with little parentheses in it, basically, where he throws a little more theology and then gives example theology, example theology. And in this section, he's going to talk about just a whole section, ways you should reveal the reality of God in your life through your conduct. So we're going to read the whole thing, but then what we're going to do for about the next three weeks is we're going to lump together the verses that are all could be together. Paul could have written it where he said, I'll deal with this topic, and then switch to this topic, and then switch to this topic, but he didn't. He goes with this topic, and then he puts something else, and then he goes back to the same topic, and then he goes something else, and he goes back to the same topic. So we're going to lump them together over the next couple of weeks, okay? But let's read the whole thing together first. So verse, chapter 4, Ephesians, starting in verse 25. It says... Therefore, so he's starting this brand new section, because of what he said, he's saying in all the preceding verses, um, because we're going to be like Jesus, 25, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger, and do not to give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that we will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And we'll stop right there. Now, before we pull a few verses out, like I said, we're going to do and lump them together and look at them today. I wonder if you noticed something as I read that because we've been spending a lot of time looking at how Paul's structuring this whole thing, I wonder if you noticed that Paul structured these examples of right Christian conduct, and that's what these really are, the same way that he had earlier structured what he said life looks like when you, when you are transformed by God. And let me explain what I mean. Earlier, when talking about transformation, Paul talked about taking off certain things and then putting on certain things. And I illustrated that by having two sets of coveralls here, where I took off an old set of coveralls, remember, that had all these bad things written on it, and it was dirty, and then I put on clean white coveralls with all good things on it, 
And, and, and so he talks about putting off, and we saw, found out that sandwich in between taking off and putting on is a transformed heart, right? The spirit of your heart. But this structure is take off this, put on that. Well, did you notice that in these verses that I just read, that that's exactly the way he structures this whole section again. He basically says this, don't lie, tell the truth. Don't steal, work hard and share with others. Don't be bitter and angry, be kind and tenderhearted. In other words, he's keeping the same theme. Put off this, put on that. Put off the old, put on the new. And I think... This is really important for us to to notice and not just gloss right over because I've observed over the years that oftentimes when people come to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord, that they get this first part, this putting off part. They get that there are things in their lives that they have been doing that they realize they should stop. Things that obviously don't line up with Christ's likeness. So by God's empowering grace, they partner with the Lord and they begin to stop doing certain things they know they should stop doing. You know you know what I mean, right? So we, we stop using foul language and we stop lying and we stop cheating and we stop stealing. At least we try to do these things. And we get this. We're supposed to stop that stuff. But what we notice from how Paul structures this section, that it's not just about not doing certain things. It's also about doing certain things. That we reflect the goodness and the glory of God by not what we don't do, but by what we do do. Right? See, God's goal is not to get you to not do a bunch of stuff. That's what a lot of people, the misunderstanding they have about Christianity. You talk to somebody, especially a young person who's not a believer, not, doesn't follow Jesus, and they go, what do you think about Christians? Well, they're just those people that they can't do anything. Everything is wrong. Thou shalt not. That's what they think. It's all about thou shalt not. Well, friends, God's goal is not to get you to not do a bunch of stuff so that we would be people who are just sitting around lifeless and joyless and bored. You've got to sit on your hands. We used to make the boys, when they'd fight in the back seat, we'd make them sit on their hands because that way they couldn't hit each other. And sometimes we think that's the way God is. Or we'd have them put their hands on their head because that way you could see them in the mirror. They couldn't hit each other that way. Um, and that's what some people think Christianity is about. That God's just trying to make you sit on your hands and live this boring, lifeless, joyless life. Friends, that's not the case. God wants you to experience abundant life. He says it this way. He wants you to experience life that is overflowing. He says to a woman at a well, life that would be so fulfilling, you would, it's like drinking water that would, you would never be thirsty again. That's the kind of life he wants. Let me tell you. That kind of life comes through what you do. It doesn't come by just avoiding things. It comes through what you do. It's through what you do that we experience life and then others see God's reality in us. So the Christian life isn't really about what we can't or shouldn't do. That's what people believe, but they're wrong. It's about what we can and should do. We put off the old, but we put on the new. You see, I've noticed that when people stop short of this, they just focus on what they ought not to do, thou shalt not, that they get pretty unhappy and crabby and miserable. You want to know something? Unhappy people are no fun to be around. You know that old crotchety person that's always saying, thou shalt not, you can't do that? They're not very fun to be around, are they? And the people in their lives, it's just the negative side of them, they don't shine the love and the light of Jesus very good, and so that no one's drawn to them very much. 
So let's remember, as we get into this text, this whole section we're looking over weeks and weeks now, that yes, there are things we need to stop, and there are. Paul says, put it off. There's things we need to stop. There's things that you and I need to stop. But there are also things that we need to start. And that's what I really want us to get. And that it's in the doing, it's in the starting and the doing that we experience the true joy that Jesus says is available to us, that Apostle Paul is writing about here. Um, And that we then really begin to shine the love and the light of Jesus. So with all that being said, let's now look at our first example of right Christian conduct, the putting on, that comes from transformation of the Holy Spirit within us. He's saying we should stop certain things and we should start things. So let's reread a couple of the verses that we just read. Look at verse 25, the first one. We're going to lump them together into a common category. Verse 29, I'm sorry, verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbors, for we are members of one another. Then swing down to verse 29, and actually 29 and 30 are really connected together, so we'll read them both. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, did you catch it? What's the common thread through these verses? Speech. What we say. He's talking about about how we talk. We all talk, right? Some of us more than others, but we all talk. I love this sermon. You're going to love it because I've been accused of talking in my life. I love that Paul says, put it on. You wait till the end here. This sermon was made for guys like me. To, to overcome all this nonsense that says, you should just be the strong, strong, silent type and never say anything. It's the opposite of what Paul's saying here. Right? I love it. So the common thread is speaking. It's speech. Paul basically says this. Do not lie. He says it here, lay aside falsehood. Do not lie. Now we might, in reading this, if you're just reading this at home, just quickly pass right over this and say, well, I already got that one figured out. Don't lie. I get that. Don't lie, tell the truth. Really? Do we really get it? In our Wednesday night class, our apprenticeship class, that we do, matter of fact, it's starting up again the 7th of September. Um, It's limited to 15 people, by the way. In our Wednesday night apprenticeship class, one of the topics we cover in the nine months we're together um, is lying. And the books we go through, one of the chapters is on lying. And in the beginning, we come to it every time. Every time people think, well, this is no big deal. But in the class, we look at some very eye-opening, current, relevant, Christian-based information about the topic of lying. And I really don't like it because it's, it hurts. According to a, the, one of the guys that's, that's quoted in one, in one of the research things we look at, a guy named Robert Feldman, he says this, in, in honestly analyzing lying, meaning not saying the truth, in conversation, he said that in a 10 minute conversation, we as Americans, on an average, tell 3.3 lies. One every three minutes or so. I'm going to explain this in a minute because you go, oh, I don't believe it. One other study says we are lied to every five minutes or an average of 200 times a day. Now, watch TV and watch a commercial and ask yourself how many times you're lied to. That wrinkle cream really does work, right? Right? It really does work. 
Yeah, nah, I see some people going, we're lied to, according to this. This is this, talking about in all of our lives. We're lied to, so it could be watching TV, listening to radio, talking to coworkers, talking to family, that we're lied to an average of 200 times a day. Author Ralph Keyes concludes that some form of deception occurs in nearly two-thirds of all of our conversations. We're not 100% honest. But we say, sitting here at Portview Church, people who care, that's not me. I don't lie. Well, really? In one study, 59% of Americans, this is where it's going to come home the roost. So, if you feel smug to this point, hold on. 59% of Americans surveyed admit to lying to their children on a regular basis. These are the ways they say it. It's not really a lie. Oh, honey, our cable company doesn't get that channel. Or, no, Dora's not on today. Or, oh, if you touch that, you're going to get a shock. Or how about this? Oh, sweetie, the candy store is closed on Tuesdays. You know, we do this stuff all the time. Suzanne and I just saw, I was preparing for this, and we saw a classic example of this recently. We were up in Door County, and we were sitting in Egg Harbor, if you've ever been in Egg Harbor, sitting up on the hill, about halfway down the hill towards the marina, waiting for the sun to set. Now, this is the middle of summer. There's families all over the place, walking up and down the hill, walking around the marina, coming back, and and everybody's kind of gathering because the sun's going to set. So we're sitting on a park bench, and we're we're waiting there. We're having a nice conversation. And in past walks a family, and now we've seen all kinds of families, but I noticed this family. You know why I noticed them, Harold? Honestly, they all had bears or cubs clothes on. So this is this is a little it's a little tainted. They're from Illinois, so they probably lie a little more. Um, it's possible. I'm not sure about that. I'm just I'm just saying what I saw. I'm not sure. But a mom and a dad and three kids came by with bear clothes and cubs hats. You know, I'm like, okay, God loves them too. And they walk down. They walk around the harbor, and it's hot. I'm telling you, it was hot. Matter of fact, we've met one lady who lives there. And she was saying, it never gets as hot in Door County because you're surrounded by water. It was like in the 90s, it was high humidity. We're just, we're just roasting. You know, it was hot. And these little kids, they're running around and they're jumping up on this big bunch of rocks. They're jumping on the rocks. They're running around. They've been down at the bottom of the hill. They're walking up and the kids are thirsty, like we all are. You know, Suzanne and I are both drinking bottles of water. And there's a public water fountain right 10 feet from us. And everybody walking down the path has been stopping at this public water fountain to get a drink. It works perfectly. They're all getting drinks using it. And as each kid came up the hill, it was interesting is mom and dad weren't together. Mom, I forget, I think mom was in the front and dad was in the back and the kids were in the middle. But they both did the exact same thing. That as one of their kids and all three of their kids went to the water fountain, both parents independently looked at the kids and said, oh honey, the water fountain's broken, you can't use that. Now, I had watched all kinds of people use the water fountain. Now, they could have been afraid of Wisconsin germs. That's possible. I'm not sure. But they told their kids, they told their kids, each one, it it wasn't a scheme. They had a commitment that we don't want our kids to drink out of a public water fountain. Maybe it was germs. I don't know. That's up to them. That's their parenting. But what they said to their kids, each one, three times I heard them say it. I'm like... They're lying to their kids, you know. Oh, no, no, that water fountain's broken. I want, I, I really, yes, I said, 
I wouldn't stand up and go, oh, no, it works. I just used it. And, uh, and I really did, didn't I? I'm like, I'm going to say it, you know. Because, and they said to the kids, they said, oh, we're only five minutes from our hotel room. We can get bottled water there, you know. So they, they couldn't drink that nasty water out of the water fountain. They had to get bottled water. Now, listen, friends. That's lying. And that's what he's talking about. It's, he's, that's lying. We say we don't lie, but we all tend to do it at times. You know, Brett, sorry I've lied to you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, we did get that channel, and, uh, <laughs> and the store was open, <laughs> and we did have enough money to buy that thing. I'm not sure what it was, but and you guys have all done the same. In our apprenticeship class on Wednesday nights, we take a whole week to notice if and when we lie, and you know what we conclude? I write, I've written in my book in red letters, I'm a liar. <laughs> That's what I wrote. And every, I keep hoping every time it's going to get better, but I can always find some examples where we don't completely use the truth. Now, Paul says simply this, stop lying and start telling the truth. Now, doesn't the question come to your mind, is this really such a big deal? Seems pretty harmless telling your kids the water fountain's broken or the store's closed. And, and those things can be harmless, I guess. But is this such a big deal that he starts talking in the very first type of conduct that Paul addresses after this four-chapter introduction to right Christian conduct and right Christian living? The first example he uses is how we talk, telling the truth or telling lies. Well, obviously, Paul believes that God believes this is a really big deal. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, why is it such a big deal? And I think it's that the text itself answers the question for us. Because honesty, truth-telling, is the bedrock of good community. It's the bedrock of loving unity in families, in churches, in nations, who can believe one word they hear in political campaigns on TV? Do you believe one word of it from anybody? I don't believe one word of it. How can, how, can, how can society function if we can't believe what somebody's saying? Look at verse 25 again. Look at what it says. It answers the question. It says, laying aside falsehood, in other words, stop lying, speak the truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Paul reminds us here of how our individual actions affect the big picture. How we together, as a community, as a church, as families, are to reflect the goodness and the glory of God. He says, don't lie. Instead, tell the truth. Put off lying. Put on truth-telling. Because we are members of one another. In other words, he's talking like this. He's saying, understand in your speech, it's not about me. It's about us. And the bedrock of having a right us, whether that just means a couple, or a family, or a church, or a city, or a county, or a state, or a nation, the bedrock of having a healthy us is having loving unity that's based on honesty between us. We can actually believe each other. How could we possibly ever demonstrate and enjoy loving unity in diversity like we're supposed to have, if we can't believe one another. We can't. Being honest with each other is the foundation of loving unity. Now, some of you are going, I like that. I like telling the truth. That's why Paul added verse, 12, verse 29. Okay? See, the reason, I'll read verse 29 in a second, but the reason Paul added verse 29 is because of 
southeastern Wisconsin. I'm pretty sure. I think the reason Paul added verse 29 is because he knows that someday there would be a bunch of Germans and Dutch people living in southeast Wisconsin, sitting in a church, and they'd read verse 25 and they'd say, okay, here's the truth, and they'd let it fly. I'll tell you the truth, at least what I think about the truth, what I think to be the truth. They would tell you the truth about how they think you look. Yes, you look fat in those pants. They would. They would tell you the truth about what they think about your views. You're nuts for believing what you believe. They would tell you the truth about what you thought they thought was wrong with your sermon. Ha 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 Hear that one. What they thought or what you forgot to say in your sermon. Or they'd tell you the truth about what they think about your wife. Or what they think about your kids. Or what they think about how you park your car on the street. They would find something to tell you the truth about. It'd be a bunch of people like Rachel from Anne of Green Gables. Anybody seen, ever read or watched Anne of Green Gables? Please tell me yes. Only a few of you. You all have an assignment. You all have an assignment. Anne of Green Gables is a book. I didn't read the book. But Anne of Green Gables is a, is a series that was out. You can rent it on probably on Netflix. I'm not sure. It is a good, clean, classic story about an orphan girl. But in the story, when I was writing this, I thought, verse 29 made me remember a character. Her name is Rachel. And Rachel is, is Marilla's friend. Marilla is a lady. Her and her brother have adopted Anne from the orphanage. And Rachel is a, let's say this, Rachel is blunt. And at one time, Rachel says something she shouldn't says. And she says to Anne, Shirley, Anne, well, I'm just known for a woman who speaks her mind. Ever been around a person just known for speak, speaking their mind? I've tended to be that way in my life, you know. Um, God, Paul knew there'd be a whole bunch of a bunch of German and Dutch people just like Rachel, and they would just speak their minds. But Paul adds to this idea of telling the truth. He understands that God's not concerned with us just speaking the truth, but about us speaking the truth in love. And that's what verse 29 is really all about. It's been said that way before: speak the truth in love. Verse 29 is just a different way of saying the same thing. In other words, he says this, don't lie and use foul language and abusive language, but rather speak words that are good for edification according to the need of the moment so that we grace to those who hear. That's what verse 29 says. Let no unwholesome word, not only a few unwholesome words, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. In other words, don't lie. Don't, don't be using bad, don't speak inappropriately. But, only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. We can speak the truth, friends, in such a way, Paul is saying, that it isn't hurting, but it's actually helping. It's actually healing. He doesn't say don't speak the truth. He said speak the truth. But we can speak the truth in such a way that it isn't hurting but it's actually healing. And as Paul says here, it can actually extend grace to another person. I want you to know, as a natural-born German, which I am, who tends to speak the truth, and I'm getting better at learning how to do it, that I pray this verse almost every single day in my morning confession. In fact, the only one verse in all the Bible that I pray almost every single morning, unless I don't go through the morning confession in my mind, and I still will probably throw it today, is this verse from, from Ephesians. And I pray, Lord, let no unwholesome word proceed from my mouth today. 
but only words that are good for edification according to the need of a moment, that it might give grace to the hearer God. Because I understand something. I have to use words all the time. Some people just run a press. They don't have to use words. I have to use words all the time. And I have to deal with people all the time. And what I found is my greatest need is say, God, you've got to help the way I speak. I want to speak the truth in love. So this reminds us that we must think before we speak. That's what he's really talking about here. You can't do this without thinking. We ask ourselves, if I'm to say this truth, something that is true and needs to be said, how can I say it in a way that is grace-filled and helpful and encouraging? That's what we ask. Proverbs 15 says it like this. Matter of fact, there's a post-it note tack right next to my desk right here. Proverbs 15, two verses out of Proverbs 15, it says this on it. The tongue of the wise man makes knowledge acceptable, and the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. That's posted on a post-it note right next to my desk. So I think, I try to say, how am I going to answer this question? In an effort to build good and loving Christian community, we think about what we say and how we should say this. Now to help me with this even more, I have another picture on my office wall. If you've been in my office, my desk is like this, and there's a bookshelf here, and a closet juts out. So the back of that closet wall, I like to hang all kinds of stuff that no one else really sees. It's stuff to remind me of stuff. The Apostle Creed is on there. Uh, the Henry Blackaby's process for walking with God is on there. All kinds of things. Colossians 3, the whole Colossians 3 is on there, so I can look at it all the time. And one of the things that's on there is this picture. That's on my office wall. And this side of me is Proverbs 15. And that, right in front of my face is this. It says, before you speak, think. And be, I try to do this. Before I speak, we think. And we ask ourselves this question. T, is it true? H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? K, is it kind? And this helps me to try to honor what Paul is saying in this text. Because if you're a person who has to use words, um, our words can help and our words can hurt. And so if we will think, this is basically a really nice way of remembering what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians 4.29. That we will think before we speak. We ask ourselves these questions. Is what I'm saying true? That's an important thing. Gossip is simply repeating stuff. A lot of times it's not true. Is it true? Is it helpful? In other words, will it inspire? That's exactly what he's talking about in this text. Is it, is it inspiring? Is it necessary? A lot of things we can speak. I was in a, in a conference one time and a, and a church leader from Australia was there and he said, the biggest problem I have with you Americans is that you think because something is true, you must say it. He goes, that's what he saw as American. He goes, a lot of things are true that don't need to be said. We have to ask ourselves a question before we speak the truth in love. Does it need to be said? Maybe the person doesn't look good in that dress, but you don't necessarily need to say it. If they ask you, you can say, well, dear, do you really want me to tell you what I think? This happens often. And she says, yes. And then I say, I love it, or not so much. And I say that. Did it this morning. Three different outfits. I think you're in outfit number four. I'm pretty sure. And we do it every day. It's common. It's, it's, we love each other, right? And so we help each other. So I'll have to say, do you want me to say what I think or not? And she'll say, yes, be honest with me. But that's the way it works, right? We think before we speak. 
You could just say, they say somebody say, I don't really want you to tell me the truth. They say, it looks great. <laughs> it's a lie, but it looks great. <laughs> you know. Um, and is it kind? Friends, ask these questions and then listen to me. And then speak. It's the do part of what Paul is saying. He says, stop doing this, start doing this. And I really, matter of fact, I'm going to probably preach an entire sermon just on this concept right here. I'm going to start talking, it's going to start with dealing with Adam and Eve. Um, but this idea that we often have in the church world, especially us men, or some of you men, because it's not my natural tendency to be the strong, silent type, um, is this. You think you just won't say anything. I'm telling you that's not what Paul wants and it's not what God wants because just saying nothing leads to great problem and your words have weight and can be greatly helpful and healing. I think over the years of the amount of family trauma I have seen over the years because a husband just didn't say a word and let his wife run the show and the kids go wild. If the husband had just said, listen, in loving kindness, think about how to say it. Um, guess what? There is a right way and we're going to do it this way. Because God gave me the responsibility. So I'm telling you, and ladies, you could be the exact same way. But this is about the fact that we need to ask, how do we say it? But then we need to speak if it's appropriate. Don't make the mistake of just being silent. You know, we understand some people talk more than other people. But this is an admonition to speak. Speak in ways that bless and encourage. You saying nothing doesn't bless or encourage a person. But you speaking in love and kindness and grace blesses and encourages a person. So if we all walked into church this Sunday and no one said a word to anybody, you'd say, but no one offended anybody. Guess what? You still could. But guess what? If every one of you said something positive and kind and uplifting to another person, everybody would walk out the door going, that's the greatest place in the world. I can't wait to get back there. That's what Paul's getting at here. In the body of Christ, it's not that you just don't say anything, sit off in a corner by yourself, it's that you speak in a way that is a blessing to other people. That's what he's getting at. It's an admonition to speak, to speak in ways that bless and encourage. Friends, understand, since the devil, the Bible says, is the father of lies, Paul's saying, don't be like him. But God is truth. That's what scripture says. Jesus, I am the way, the truth. Aim to be like him, to reflect him through loving, encouraging, uplifting, helpful speech. Just think about how this could change the environment of your home. If your home went from screaming to speaking, to thinking before you speak, and speaking words of loving, encouraging, uplifting, helpful kindness, how much different would your house be? How much different would your workplace be? How much different would your church be? Now guess what? You can't maybe change your whole workplace. But as for me and my house, as for my life, I can change what I do and you can change what you do. Now, one last comment as I close. Look back at the text. Look at verse 30. This is very important here. Paul ties verse 29 and verse 30 together. He goes from what you say and then he goes right into this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit's within you. You're sealed. That's that's the deposit that you're a believer, that you're going to heaven. You're sealed for the day of redemption when mankind will be redeemed. And Paul, Paul ties our speech to the possibility of grieving the Holy Spirit, of hurting the Holy Spirit within you. Friends, that's a big deal, right? 
That's a pretty big deal. Paul's saying this, this is no small matter how we speak. This is like the Apostle Paul just putting a great big exclamation point on the end of verse 29. Saying, listen, pay attention to how you speak. Don't speak wrong. Don't lie. Tell the truth. Do it in love. He punctuates it with a saying, listen, because how you speak actually has the possibility of grieving God himself who dwells within you. Imagine that. We can actually grieve the Holy Spirit when we use our words to hurt instead of heal, to divide instead of unify God's family, God's church, your family. Why? There's a reason. Because when you boil it all down, we are Christ's body, the Bible says. That's how it describes us. We're his family. All these analogies that try to say, try to show that we're unified, we're one. Matter of fact, Ephesians earlier says that what God, what Jesus himself did, he came and he tore down the walls that divided humanity before. And he created one brand new type of person. This brand new type of person he calls a Christian, a follower of Jesus. He says, now we have this new entity called Christians. And he says, the whole reason I came was to tear down the wall of divides and unify them around salvation in Christ. So Paul is saying anything that hurts or hinders that unity is grieving to God because it's going against the very reason Jesus himself came to the world. And I think we need to own that. I think we need to, we need to think about that and to say, well, it's just no big deal. It is a big deal. We can actually grieve the Spirit of God. But you know what? We don't have to. It's just a little exclamation. It's a little warning at the end. But what do we do? We're going to walk out of here. We're going to, because we're people who care, we're going to speak the truth in love. Today, this afternoon, here's my challenge. Go all day today without saying one thing that's not true. It's not so easy, parents. Because guess what? Culver's is open on Sunday. <laughs> and they do have plenty of ice cream. But you can say, guess what, honey? Guess what, Junior? We aren't going to Culver's today. Wah, wah. Cry all you want. We're not going to Culver's today. You don't have to lie about it. You can just tell it in a loving way. We're not going. Because we're not going. <laughs> That's why. Why? Because we're not going. That's why. But Suzanne's one I shouldn't even get out. So one of Suzanne's rules in child rearing was find ways to say yes instead of no. So we think. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? We speak the truth in love, but we speak. We don't lie, we don't curse, we don't use foul language, we don't tell bad stories. Paul says, put all that garbage aside, but put the good stuff on. Start using your speech in a productive, in a positive, in a healing manner. Because that brings, it, it causes unity in the body, causes unity in the family. That makes sense, right? Don't you love that God is so practical? You can go out of here today and you can apply this to your home life today. And it will make a difference. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father, as we commit our lives to you, today we commit our conversations to you, our words to you. We want to be unifiers, not dividers. So we ask, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to speak the truth in love. Remind us to think before we speak. Help us to ask, is what we're saying positive? Is it helpful? Lord, even when we have to correct, Proverbs says that if you even have to correct, think about how to do it first. 
that Lord dares many times to correct, especially as parents. But how do we do it in a way that extends grace? Holy Spirit, we need wisdom for that. And we ask God as we open up our hearts to you, you would give us wisdom. God, give us courage to speak and to not be silent when the need arises. For some of us, God, that's the biggest challenge. Our conclusion has just been to sit back, shut up, and say nothing. And in the midst of it, turmoil happens all around us and our words could be healing. Give us courage and wisdom to know when and how to speak. Transform us from the inside out. Becoming more like Jesus so it flows out of our mouths. Maybe that's the first reason that Paul, a reason Paul dealt with this first Lord. Maybe that's it. Because you're trying to have us be people who reveal your love and your grace reveal the reality of transformation and the first thing that people ever really encounter is what we say. So Lord, may our, the words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart be acceptable to you.